the life you've always wanted. That's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks together. John 10, verse 10, Jesus said this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that they may have life. Everybody turn and look at your neighbor. Say, get a life. I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus has promised us a certain kind of life, a quality of life that would be characterized by abundance. In other words, our life would be full of abundant peace, abundant joy. These are the hallmarks of the kingdom of God. Abundant love, abundant hope, a strong expectation that God's in charge of the future and we can rest in him. There's a, a, it's a life where we are growing in our love for God. You know, where we love God more now than we loved God 10 years ago or five years ago, or three years ago, or 25 years ago, however long you've been walking with God, it would be a life where we are loving other people in a better and better way. We are learning to love even the unlovely sometimes. It would be a life where you would learn to actually love yourself, because God loves you, <laughs> and you can love the person that God loves. It would be a life where you could learn to love your life right now, not the life that's coming, but the life that is right now. It's a life where you can rest in the fact and trust in there is a God who is for you. You don't have to be the strongest. You don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the most clever. You don't have to be the most talented because you can put your life into the hands of the one who is the strongest and the smartest and the most clever and the most talented. Come on. That's what, that's what this life is. It's a life of trust in God. I'm not going to worry about what goes on around me. It's a life where you can rest when things aren't going well. Ever had one of those days? Ever had one of those weeks? <laughs> Ever had one of those seasons where you can be at rest because even though things might not be going well today, you can know that God is working behind the scenes because he's promised to make it all work together for your good. It's a life where you can live with a calm humility when everything is going great because you realize that it's not going great because you're so great. It's going great because of the grace of God. I remember uh, one time I was in India and traveling with a friend and we were traveling down the road and alongside this big stretch of that road were these little shacks and guys had a piece of a truck, like things that had fallen off of trucks and little pieces. And, and one guy would have a shack with an with a axle. And one guy would have a shack with a hubcap. And one guy would have a shack with a, with a steering wheel. And that, they were just there to sell, possibly, somebody need a steering wheel? Somebody need a hubcap? Somebody need an axle? <laughs> How would you be driving by? But 
I, you know, I, I, we drove by, and I'm thinking to myself, this is their life every day. And I leaned over to my friend, and I said, if you ever hear me complain about anything again, punch me in the throat. <laughs> because, but for the grace of God, that could be my life. And so when anything's going great, we know that, thank God for his grace. Thank God for, for his help. And I believe that, that the potential for living abundantly and living well is always ours. But I'm going to venture to say that a few of us don't necessarily feel abundant peace abundant rest. We're not abundantly full of hope. I would venture to say there's a few of us that get easily irritated with the kids. I would even venture to say there's some of us that might occasionally get grouchy, just stare straight ahead, no elbows, no, just keep it all, keep it all in your space, right there, <laughs> all in your space. Or possibly even judgmental. The real life that God has for us is a life that's growing in love for God, loving God more and more, and growing in love for people. And I think what happens to us as believers is it starts to get easy to substitute outward things and use that as the marker for our spirituality. The abundant Christian life is an inside job that works its way out. But often, we just look at outward appearance. And even though on the inside, it's still kind of mean, and less patient and less joyful, we just mark it as this. Well, I'm a Christian. I don't smoke. Don't smoke. Don't drink. Don't chew. Don't go with girls that do. <laughs> now, you know, here's the deal. Smoking is not going to send you to hell but it will make you smell like you've been there. <laughs> but we would somehow tolerate a person who's always worried, has no joy, is not full of hope, and yet, they, at least they don't smoke. They go, oh, that's a real Christian. We would, it becomes easy, thank God we don't do this, but I do think it can happen where people go, well, you can't have a tattoo and be a Christian. And people would mark outward appearance and use that as the signal 
for a Christian rather than that guy is so full of peace, so full of joy, so full of love, so full of hope, so full of mercy. And I think we get, these, we get these outward markers and these inward. I remember when I had, for a season, uh, thought I would try to own a motorcycle, a Harley. And I remember the first time I ever went into a Harley-Davidson store, clothes and motorcycles and helmets, and I walked in kind of dressed like this. <laughs> and... And I looked around and we go, something is not fitting in this picture. <laughs> I think Christians can often adopt outward appearance and say that's what makes you a Christian, but still possibly be mean, be judgmental, be negative be gossipy. And I, I want to say that when, when, when we accept Christ, when we say yes to Jesus, which we're going to give you an opportunity to do that at the end of the meeting today, but when we just say, yes, I surrender to you, Jesus, I, I want you to be the Lord of my life, he gives us as a gift eternal life. He, he gives us a right standing with God. He gives us salvation. That, that's purely a gift. But the process of learning to actually live abundantly, of learning to live, to grow more and more, to look like Jesus, well, that takes some time. And that takes some effort. And that takes some intentionality. You don't drift into that. And there is a, there's a path for transformation of our lives where over time we are growing in peace and growing in joy and growing in patience and growing in, in becoming more like Jesus. Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove the will, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And I really believe that there can be a transformation, not just you stop smoking and you, you quit wearing whatever kind of clothes or you do something different on the outside, but something changes on the inside, your, your mind, your, your outlook, your viewpoint, your, your behavior, your, your way of interacting with people, your life. And I want to take a few weeks and talk about what is it that can help us move toward this. And I know this is, I know this is exciting. I, I'm going to ask you not to stand and scream and shout and holler when I say this. But the path for this is to learn to adopt some spiritual discipline. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Pastor Kirk is cursing in church now. Discipline. Discipline is a price we pay now for a benefit we receive later. And I hope every, every one of us understands you either pay the price 
before and get the benefit, or you pray, pay the price after and get the consequence. But nobody avoids paying the price of living. 1 Timothy 4 verse 7 says this, have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. My apologies to all the old women. There's none here, none in this service. They were all in the first service. Uh, On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of a little profit, which means it's good for something, but godliness is profitable for all things. Since it holds promise for this present life and also for the life to come. I'm saying that anything worthwhile in life requires some kind of discipline, some kind of training. If you want to get good musically, you've, you've got to discipline yourself to practice. If, even if you have an innate gift, you still have to have some discipline. If you want to get good at art, if you want to learn a new language, if you want to, anything academic-wise, anything sports-wise requires some level of discipline. No one drifts into greatness. You don't drift into a great marriage. You don't drift into a great walk with God. You don't drift into a a fruitful ministry. You don't drift into that kind of stuff. There's got to be intentionality, and there's got to be some discipline. I've just started a a new exercise program. I had another one, and uh, I found this new one, and I really like it a lot. And so doing calculations on this thing, they're telling me what my body composition needs to be. And, And so by their measurements... I, I have got to lose 40 pounds of body fat and gain 20 pounds of muscle. Now, obviously, they haven't seen me live because they wouldn't be, <laughs> wouldn't be pushing for that. But lose 40 pounds of body fat, gain 20. Is this too much information, uh, Sunday morning church? But what they said was, you got to give yourself a year to accomplish this. Because what you're going to see is lose 20 pounds in two weeks, get washboard abs in six weeks, six weeks to your bikini body. But then if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be wearing a bikini, right? (laughs) Some of us shouldn't be, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I, I remember when I first began to read about guys like John Newton, who, uh, who was just in pursuit of God, would get up at 4.30 in the morning uh, to have prayer and would pray for two hours. And, and I'm, as a young Christian, I remember 
try on that, and it would last two days, you know, and I would just, I, and I would, I'd give out. Because I think what happens to a lot of us, as soon as we start thinking about discipline, we want to go from, we want to go from way overweight, if you will, to washboard abs in a month. And it's not going to happen. I think most, I, here's what I want to suggest to you. Most of us, in, we end up pulling a muscle spiritually trying too hard for something we've never really trained for. And I want to suggest to you that, they, that we should train for godliness and not try for godliness. Right? I want, to, I want to suggest to you that instead of straining, you would try training. That these disciplines that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, they're not going to be things that you're going to go, oh my gosh, that is earth shattering. But they're going to be things that I believe could help us live the life we've always wanted. Live this life of abundant peace and abundant joy and abundant love. There, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a theory behind improvement that's called the aggregation of marginal gains. Don't shout. The aggregation of marginal gains. Uh, the better, easier way to understand it is the 1% improvement theory. And, uh, and, it, and it's been proven over and over again uh, that this concept of small improvements over time will eventually take you to a great place. The British cycling team for 76 years competed in the Tour de France, and every year they failed miserably. They lost every time. But finally in 2012, everything changed for them because one of the British cyclists won the Tour de France that year. Another British cyclist actually took second place. And they went on that year in the, in the Olympics to win eight gold medals. The difference for them was literally 10 years earlier, 2002, a guy named Dave Brailsford became the team manager, performance director. And Dave had this concept of the 1% margin of improvement. And he applied it to everything that had to do with the team. So, so he, they started with obvious things like seat ergonomics or the weight of the wheels and improve a little bit of athlete nutrition. He even, he even had some of them bring their own coffee machines to hotels so they could have the right kind of coffee. This guy's thinking right. <laughs> and... He just began to improve one small thing after another. He, he put the guys in a wind tunnel and found minor improvements in their aerodynamic techniques. He, he saw that dust was affecting the gears and the wheels, so he, he, he redid their whole practice area so that it, they could not have to contend with the dust. And I love this concept, and, and this, is, this is what he said, Dave. He said, we searched for small improvements everywhere. Forget about perfection. Everybody say that with me. Forget about perfection. Focus on progression. 1% at a time. 
If you decided you wanted to run a marathon, Joseph Abbott has run a bunch of marathons. He's a beast. And yes, amen. Give him a hand. Because that is not an easy feat. For most of us in this room, if, if we were to say, step outside of church today and run a marathon, we'd be hurting. Because you can't try hard enough. You have to train well enough. As you begin to train, you could, you could get to a place where you could start to run one mile, three miles, 10 miles, finally 26.2, if you were crazy enough to want to do that. <laughs> if, you were to, if you decide, I'm just going to start running, I want to run. If you started running one minute, put on all your gear, run for a minute, stop, say, oh, I feel so accomplished. But then, increase a minute every three days. One minute, two minutes. By the end of six months, you'd be able to run an hour. But most people, they say, I'm going to run, and they get out and try to run an hour and pull a muscle. Bodily discipline profits a little, but godly discipline it's profitable for all things. And I want to suggest to you that during this series that we're going to walk through, that you, I, I, don't want to, I don't want you to pull a muscle. I want you to grab something that speaks to you and start right where you are and just consider a 1% improvement over time. 1 Corinthians 9, I'm going to bring this to a close in about 30 minutes. No, 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. Therefore, I run in such a way, not without aim, a box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. The Apostle Paul is urging us, the Holy Spirit is urging us, run to win. Recognize that you can't drift into the abundant life. There... I, there are certain mindsets that are not going to take you there. They need to be changed. There are, there are certain patterns in your life that are not going to take you there. And you might say, when am I ever going to break this pattern? You're not going to break it with just trying hard. There are certain tendencies that you have that I don't have or you have that I may share that are not going to help us. And, and I just, I just want to say to you that there's something very powerful about engaging in this idea that I am going to train to win. I am going to run to win. I remember the outside of meeting Suzette, my time at Bible college, the best part of, my, of, of Bible college for me was not everything I learned 
But this one thing, I learned I could live in victory every day of my life. It didn't matter what was going on around me. I did not have to be subject to circumstances or my own moods. I learned that I could live in a spirit of victory every day. In other words, I could live winning. And a lot of people don't like that idea. I don't like winning. Well, the Bible says, run to... Thank you for all seven of you. Run to win. Right? Verse 24. Don't you know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you would win. Instead of just accepting everything life hands you, how about taking a stand in the promise that God has given you and fight for the victory he has for you. Come on, you can know that eventually there's always going to be a victory in God because he's promised to work it all out for your good. He's promised that every weapon formed against you cannot prosper. Victory is found where victory is valued. When I was a little boy playing T-ball, little league ball. Nobody cared who won. Nobody even cared if you ran the right direction around the bases. (laughs) It was just play and learn to be on a team and just have fun and ice cream cone afterwards, snow cone afterwards. That's what it was all about. But when you leave T-ball, Because victory doesn't matter in T-ball. But when you start getting into high school and college and major league and get to the World Series, how many of you know victory starts to matter? And let me say it this way, and I want you to get this in the right spirit. Defeat will always come into our soul when we don't value victory. There is an enemy that hates you. There is something in your own soul that always wants to pull downward. And there's got to be something in us that says, I'm going to rise up. And I'm going to live the life that God's called me to live. I'm going to live the life I've always wanted to live. Now, let me qualify because I think it's very important to understand this. Spiritual disciplines, whether they are reading your Bible, praying, being quiet, turning off the noise, celebrating, all the different disciplines that we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. Doing those and doing those well does not earn you anything from God, okay? Your salvation, your relationship with God, your right standing with God is a gift. Your salvation costs too much for you to earn it. (laughs) You could not be good enough, your, your salvation, the fact that God loves you, the fact that he's totally in love with you, the fact that he will allow you to go to heaven only happens because you embrace the free gift of righteousness that Jesus gives us. It's only always a gift. But I'm going to suggest to you that spiritual discipline is going to help your life Embrace and align with the grace that God wants to pour into you. 
When I was a, a boy growing up, my dad always owned a boat of some kind. And, you know, we'd have just a little fishing kind of boat. And we'd go out in that boat. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was always kind of the same routine. It's on the trailer. And um, we let the boat out and squeeze the gas pump. It's just a little bitty fishing boat. And that's the only kind of boating I ever even knew. And then I remember the first time that I went sailing with somebody. I thought, now, here's a different experience from my boating experience because there was no power other than the wind. And sailing is you got to learn how to catch the wind. And once you learn the disciplines of catching the wind, you can have a blast sailing. I remember my first time sailing. I mean, we were, we, that guy literally had that boat leaned up like this, and I didn't realize how deep the, the hull was. And I thought, we're going over. You know, we're leaning back. But he was an expert at moving those sails around and catching the wind. I'm going to suggest to you that the life of developing spiritual discipline is really like sailing. The wind of God is blowing. The, the breath of heaven is moving. And spiritual disciplines help us catch the wind. Anybody with me? Anybody, anybody want to hoist the sails and catch the wind? Amen. No wind, no movement. So don't think that this idea of spiritual discipline is somehow becoming <laughs> a boat with a motor. God releases the wind. Spiritual discipline says, I'm going to get my sails up. Catch this. I'm going to catch what God's saying. I'm going to catch what God's doing. I'm going to catch where God wants to take me. I want to pray with you today. I would like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I just know that in this room, there's so many that are struggling with that sense of peace and rest and hope and love that you want to pour into our souls. And I'm praying today for an outpouring of grace, for an embrace of, of this, this life that you have given us. Lord, at the end of this six weeks, may we be on the path to something entirely new and fresh in all of our world. While your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, I just want to take this moment. Maybe you're here today and you've never just surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never just given him your heart. This would be a great moment to do that. Maybe you're here today and you know that you have slipped away from a place where you used to be, where you were close to the Lord. And whatever's happened, whether it's been your negligence or somebody did something or life threw something at you and now you feel, I'm not where I used to be. I'm not on fire. I'm not close. I'm not in love with God like I used to be. Today would be a day for you to open your heart, for you to lift your sail let him touch your life. Maybe you're here today and you just don't know where you stand really. 
but you would love to feel confident, feel sure. I want to pray with you. You've never given your life to Christ, or you may have fallen away, or you just feel unsure. You say, Pastor, would you pray with me? I want you to lift your hand right now. Say, that's me all over this room. God bless you. God bless you. Come on. Just lift your hand up. Be brave. Lift it up real high. Thank you. Thank you over here. Thanks. Anybody else? Come on. This is not about you powering the boat. This is about you hoisting your sail. Would you do that? Would you surrender? Is there anybody else that says, yes, include me in this prayer? God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. I want everybody to pray this with me, but this is for those who lifted their hand, but let's all pray it together. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, I love you. I need you. I want you in my world as my Lord. I know I've sinned, but I come to the cross where you paid the price for my forgiveness. Today is a fresh start, a new beginning as I give my life to you. Help me become the person you created me to be. Amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord. Amen. Amen.